Hello, Frank here, and today we're doing our first throwback episode on Leica Studios Kubo and the Two Strings. Now these episodes are becoming in between our regular episodes, at least until we get going on a weekly schedule, which is going to be months down the road. Um, they are from our original version of this podcast, which ran from 2015 to 2021, uh, uh, roughly. And, uh, there's a lot of episodes that we had that we'd like to re-release. There's some that we want to revisit. So when the, we get to those, we might reference the old episodes, maybe even have clips from them. But for now, we're going to focus mainly on re-releasing some of the episodes that we really liked. Um, the conversation goes from talking about Leica Studios to Kubo and what our thoughts on that, plus uh, touching on uh, stop motion and, and uh, the art form of that a little bit. Uh, it's a fun conversation. The audio quality is not the best. Um, of course, we've never been known for our superb audio quality, but this is back when we had a lot different setup than we do now and a lot different mics. Um, we're slowly but surely getting and improving as much as we can. And hopefully as this podcast progress, you'll notice a change as we are able to upgrade. But regardless, um, this episode ran on October 5th, originally released October 5th, 2017. And uh, here it is for your entertainment. Oh, one note. We used to do skits uh, in before and after the episode. Uh, we are cutting those out because they're not really relevant anymore. And you will get lost in the weeds because the skits had kind of a through line. And it didn't even make sense to us. So if you hear us reference the skit, that is what it is. Someday we might put out uh, all the skits back to back so you can see that story. But until then, um, and without further ado, Kubo in the Two Strings. All right. It is really fun so, to say, God damn it, Frank, I hate you so much. So so uh this week we are talking about Kubo and the two strings, and we're only a year uh a little over a year late to talk which, about it. Which is actually pretty good by our standards. Well, with with newer stuff, we're usually only a month or a month or so out. But uh this is something that I didn't have a chance to actually see in the movie theater because I was I was working nights and yeah. I don't do a lot of matinees here, um, and so it was a little bit hard to to actually get out and go to it. Yeah, but but uh, well, and like nights nights and swings are just rough to do kind of anything really. Yeah, unless you live in an area that has a little more stuff going on at night. Yeah, and even I mean. E even, even then, even then, I mean, it's still like you're you're far more limit. You're far more limited because all the stuff that takes normal your government daytime hours is just going to be done. Yeah, very true. But anyway, Kubo and the four, two two strings. Uh, it's it's uh, produced by Leica Studios, and I and I just want to go briefly into Leica Studios because they're a stop motion animation company, which I don't feel there's enough of. And they're magical um, and wonderful and make the world a better place. They, they've done four films so far, plus yeah. a short. So I guess five films. Yeah. Um, 
But I'm going to go into a little bit of their history just because I think it's interesting. It actually started out as a Will Vinton Studios back in the in the 80s and uh, into the 90s. And he did several uh, short films. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the 90s, he was, he was looking for some funding. And uh, he went and it was invested – his company was invested invested into by Phil Knight and Travis Knight, who happened to work. From my understanding, Travis Knight actually worked at uh, the studio, Phil Will Vuitton studio at the time. And Phil Knight, for those of you who don't know, is the dude who founded co-founded Nike Shoes. So this this guy's the guy who who's involved who who started Nike Shoes is also responsible. Uh, financially responsible for these magical films <laughs> that um, I I love so much. Um, uh, Will Vuitton, fortunately or unfortunately, he lost ownership of the studio in 2002. He lost majority ownership. Uh, apparently, there was it just continued to be in financial straits. Phil Knight put more money in until he became the majority shareholder, and in 2005, they re. Uh, reorganized the studio as Leica Studios, um, which originally had two divisions, one to do, to work on feature films and the other one to work on commercial projects, uh, music videos, um, commercials, advertising, that kind of thing. Um, they have since split into two completely separate uh, groups. Um, but it makes, Leica... It kind of makes sense. Is if they're both doing well, then like sort of stapling themselves together is kind of just going to limit their resources. Yeah. Well, precisely. And I think splitting them off like that allows the, the commercial one to work uh, to, to, to kind of focus on a, on, on a different aspect of the industry and mm-hmm. focus more on advertising. Um, the first feature film was Coraline, which oh. was was directed by Henry Selick in 2009. And for those of you who don't know, Henry Selick is the director of A Nightmare Before Christmas, who erroneously claimed that A Nightmare Before Christmas was a Halloween film. Yeah, he's um, wrong. He's wrong. And he's I wrong. hate him for it. Great, great director, but uh, he's wrong about the movie. And doesn't understand um, how, how theme works. Theme or story structure, or you know any of those those basic things. So he's he's a writer. Me. I think the um, writer of of the of the that movie, uh, Tim Burton. I think he acknowledges it's a Christmas film. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but um, they've Just since know released, your goddamn place, weirdos. He's they've like has since released uh, two other films, uh, Paranorma, Paranorman, which is I love well, that the, movie. That movie it's so a fantastic good. film. Such a good movie. And, and the best uh, and the best bullying piece, the best piece on bullying, I think there is. Um, and the other the other one is the Box Trolls, which came out in 2014. It's just wonderful. It's just um, I, I I rewatch that like a couple of times a month. Actually, I'll just turn it uh, on as I'm doing something. Kubo is their fourth feature film. Uh, it was released last August in 2016, mm-hmm. and they are scheduled to release a untitled project. Next year in the spring, so maybe in about six months, and uh, they're trying to organize so they can start releasing a film a year. Which 
that's amazing. That that means that they yeah, basically it, have two production teams going on. It's, it, it's also really fucking impressive because of the amount of um, how difficult uh, stop motion is. Like, I mean, and, yeah. and they, they do they do use some green screen and some computer animated stuff to sort of like uh, bulk things up. But the vast majority, they try to do as much as possible yeah. with. Uh, with the, the stop motion, and stop motion is such a pain in the ass to actually do. I did it a little yeah. bit when I was when I was really younger, and it's, you know, you'll get two minutes. It'll take you 50 hours, and you'll get maybe 10 minutes of mediocre footage. Yeah. And these guys are not producing mediocre footage at all. Um, they, they've got such a perfect blend. They, they use just the right amount of CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and, and and they make it feel cohesive. Like they make it like it all yeah. it all it all blends in back and forth into each other, and so it just feels whole. And they also usually a, have a very distinct art style, which is another thing that I really like. Yeah, one of the one of the things, <laughs> uh, and this is something that is on the special features uh, in the Paranor- Paranorman uh, Blu-ray that I have. Um, they talk about is one of the things they use the computers for is for basically helping them with the shots, like knowing kind of where to move shit and, yeah. and smoothing the, the animation out after they've taken the shots, um, which it makes sense. They're, they're still all – not not all. It's still primarily practical uh, stop-motion effects, mm-hmm. but they're using the computers to help guide them because yeah. they can, you know, make – it can catch shit that they may not catch. And if well, and 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 it, and it gives it that sort of um, that that immediate whimsical kind of look to the whole thing. Yeah, um, it, 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 that's one thing I like about their stop motion, uh, and I think that's one of the things that makes it so amazing. Is this? It doesn't have that jerky jerkiness that the old seventies yeah. and sixties oh, yeah. stop motion has. I still like that stuff. I, yeah, I still yeah, enjoy but it's not, watching but, 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 it. Like having seen this kind of smoothness and knowing that you can do that with just a little, you know, with just a little computer assistance, like it makes it feel more real and less. And you're you're not immediately going, man, this stop motion is great. You just kind of can get lost in the actual, in the in what you're in what you're watching. Precisely, which is uh, which brings us to this film, Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh-huh. Um, Oh. Sort of set oh. in this mytho- mythological Japan. Um, this one seems like it should be like the most approachable of their films. The box trolls uh, did fairly well at the box office, but it's a pretty weird movie. <laughs> when you get it right is, down to well, it. it, it is. But like the the ways, but like it kind of it makes up for it makes up for some of the weirdness in the plot and the weirdness in the world by just being visual, like visually and sort of thematically approachable. Like, well, the I, plot I, is very like the plot's very simple. The and then and then the world is just and the worlds are just charming. Like it's yes. just sort of like I mean, yes, it's this. Yes, if I try and explain box trolls, it's this. You know, world there. There's this cheese obsessed elite society, elite society <laughs> yeah. that wears white hats, and there's a rat catcher who wants who wears a red hat who wants to become a white hat, even though he's deadly it, allergic to 
cheese, and then there's these box trolls that run around fixing stuff, but everybody thinks that they murder people because the rat catcher guy's a dick, and it's like it, it, it's 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 convoluted and weird. Yeah, it's but, completely convoluted. But you just but when you're watching it, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel convoluted when you're watching it because it's just so whimsical and charming and. Yeah. And just sort of delightful, and you're just sort of like the yeah. I don't care why you're, will, like what you're doing, but uh, I want you to succeed, will, little box trolls and boy. I, who, I will say, boy named Eggs. I think I think a lot of people. Uh, I I know people who watched it and were really put off by it, and I think I think the well, visual style. While while I love the film, mm. and I know you love the film, I think the visual style was a little bit uh, almost disruptive. I guess I could say it could be jarring. Um, um, especially if you're not used to it, I think yeah. of 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 the four films they've done so far, Coraline's probably the most beloved. I think yeah. Paranorman is probably the mo- most widely received, though. It's I think it's the yeah, one that, I think that's the one that's the most approachable. Um, however, Kubo is a close second. I, yeah. I having watched it, I I think it's a close second just because it's thematically relatable. To, to people's lives and powerful like it's real i mean the way they kind of like fold the way that, that that like all those family themes are folded into it and that it's all and that it's all kind of about this conflict of family yeah and but uh we really should just talk about the plot of kubo uh, yeah we, let's go over that so, let's, let's get that out of the way so that i can just charge forward into what i want to talk about <laughs> So, so the, basically, the plot is you you first see uh, Kubo and his mom in a boat, uh, escaping uh, escaping across the she- sea. They end up on this uh, this island, this other shore, just having barely survi- survived. Um, and it's revealed that Kubo is missing his left eye as a baby. Um, it sort of flashes forward uh, ten years later, and Kubo and his mom live in a cave up in this like cliff face and every day Kubo runs down into the village uh, after the, the the fishermen have come back and uses his uh, shimishin, which is a three stringed Japanese instrument. That's really cool. Uh, really yeah. cool. Got a cool sound to it. Um, uses them and origami it's a, figures. It, it, is, it's also got a really iconic sound. Like it's, it's one where yes. like, like if you hear it, you will immediately know you have heard it and will immediately think of Japan and Japanese and, and Japanese stories. Like it's yeah. that iconic of a sound. Um, it, he, he has origami figures that he, he takes with him, but he also takes a uh, uh, stack of paper because one thing that he's able to do with his shimison is, animate the paper as he tells the stories and, and it f- does the origami as he animates it. So he's been going down and telling the story of Hanzo, this brave warrior who's gone to defeat the, the moon king. And, and it, within the story, Hanzo has to gather up this armor and this helmet and this sword to, so he can attack the moon king and, and def- defeat him. And he always, you get the impression that he always leaves it on a on a cliffhanger. Like there's there's this moment where, where the end where he's like, and, and finally he meets the Moon King, and you know the sun setting and the bells ring, and he he stops. Well, he goes back up to the cave, and you discover that Hanzo is his father, 
uh, and uh, the Moon King is his grandfather, and his mom has been telling him this story uh, repeatedly, and he he wants to find out the end of it himself because he doesn't know what happened to his dad. This uh, a day or two later, I don't remember how long. I'm very bad with time. Well, and and the, the movie itself is sort of there. There is no clear timeline, and I think. It, the, the the timing of when everything happens is not overly important as long as you know no. the difference between uh, day and night. That's the only delineation of time that has any importance whatsoever. This is true. The 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 uh, a short time later, a few days later or so, they uh, you discover there's this uh, festival coming up where and it, it's an actual festival. I don't remember the name of it. But um, where they people light lanterns in remembrance of their ancestors and, and float them uh, on this on this river. Well, Kubo decides to make him a, his lantern so he can he can call you know his father spirit and, and see if he can you know communicate with him. And he as he does so. He doesn't get any response. And finally, out of anger, he crushes the, the lantern and, and tosses it out. And uh, it alerts the twin spirits of his mom's sisters, who are also the daughters of the uh, Moon King, obviously. Um, and they come to take his other eye basically they they come to uh to capture him and take his other eye and so he escapes with the aid of his mother and he he has this magical like backpack or not a backpack this magical crest that's belonged to his father that when activated wings sprout out and and fly him off and his mom uh dies in the in the blast and uh when he awakens there is a uh, snow monkey uh, who's built a fire for him and talks to him and through the course of the adventure they they end up meeting uh a man who is a follower of hanzo uh who's been cursed to be a beetle they end like up a beetle finding, man like a beetle man yeah he's like he's like easily seven feet tall if you count the horns yeah he's he's fucking awesome like yeah. it's really cool really um <laughs> he, uh, matthew mcconaughey for some reason <laughs> yeah but it works really yeah, well no, like that's he, the thing. It, it works he does a great like he does a really great he does a really great job but there is just that moment of wait what really well he never says he never okay. says all right all right all right and he, and yeah, he, no, no, he, like, he, does, he, he does an astounding job and if you didn't know it you know, if you didn't know it was Ma- like Matthew McConaughey, you just kind of enjoy it, which is nice. But yeah, it's still just like I'm in like stop motion animated film about like vaguely vague Japan and magic in vague Japan and Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> like Matthew that's McConaughey. A, there's a there's a jump there that I'm missing. There's some kind of yeah. Who 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 knows who knows why? Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey probably. probably knows. He probably knows. He knows most things. Uh, he's 
I will say, Matthew, if Matthew ever listens to this ap- podcast, which is unlikely, yeah. uh, you did a great job, dude. So yeah, no, kudos you, to you. You're, you're fantastic. And I uh, now assume you're some sort of magical beast that wanders about. Yeah. Sorcerer. I thought, I, I thought that already. Anyway, <laughs> they they go on their quest. They go on the quest. They find the, the sword unbroken. Unbreakable. unbreakable. And this giant skeleton. Oh, such uh, so cool. Wolfie's buddy. To to be honest, the the thing that's amazing about this giant skeleton is it was so fucking big. Like in reality, it was like sixteen feet tall. The animated is yeah a sixteen foot foot tall puppet. When the normal uh, stop motion puppets are like six inches. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. To give you an idea, so good. Um, well, and, and I think that there's like my, my favorite moment about all that is that like they come in and it's just this big, like kind of empty room, and there's this one sword that's sort of stabbed into the ground, and then I think I, think, I don't remember if it's Beetle or if it's uh, Kubo, just like, oh hey, well this is easy. They go and they pick the sword up, and then the giant monster comes, and then the giant skeleton comes out of the out of the ground yeah. after with a bunch of like swords on his head and stuff, and it was like, yeah. They, awesome. they have to find the sword that's stabbed in its head. That's because that's where the sword is. Yeah. Um, they discover the armor is buried at the bottom of this giant lake. Uh, the whole time they have this little paper origami uh, Hanzo that mm-hmm. was created that has the soul of the actual Hanzo in it. He's kind of guiding them. He's kind of guiding Kubo on where to go. That's the assumption. That's the assumption in the, at that point in the film. I'm just – yeah. Could throw that out there. Yeah. And then he, he points uh he points to the lake, so they think they have to cross it. And so Kubo creates with with his Shimison's magic, he creates this giant boat made of leaves. And they, they sell out to find it and they figure out he points down to the bottom after Beetle goes down to rescue a fish that he shot with an arrow or Kubo shot with an arrow, uh they find out that the helmet is one of the other the armor is at the bottom of this this ocean, and so uh, Kubo ends up going down to get it, and he is entranced by this eye monster. I I'm not sure if it ever explained what that thing was supposed to be, other than uh, cool. Uh, meanwhile, his mother, who's monkey. You kind of you kind of figure out who she is around this point. If you didn't already guess, ends up fighting one of the sisters, um, and and defeating her. Unfortunately, the side effect is the boat starts to sink. Uh, Kubo gets entranced by this monster. Beetle goes down and rescue him, rescues him, and while he's unconscious, uh, he has a dream. Uh, after he gets the armor and, and gets saved, he's still unconscious. He has this dream uh, a little bit later where the Moon King tells him to go back to his father's fortress because that's where the helmet is. And so they do. And there is this big giant battle between uh, Monkey, the other sister, and uh, Beetle. And at the end of it, everybody dies but Kubo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know if you want to spoil this now or in a minute. So, I just uh, might as well just roll with it now. 
you, during this battle, you discover that uh, they separated Hanzo's soul from him and cursed him to be Beetle. Yeah. And so, uh, so basically, Kubo finds out that he's with his mother and father for and about has... thirty seconds, and then they and then they die. Yeah, then they're dead. And they, he actually ends up defeating them because he he uses the, the, his magic of the Shimisen to break the strings and the blast kills uh the sister but not before she you know slices through uh Hanzo and and Monkey yeah um but the crushed the origami uh Hanzo uh points to a piece of paper on the ground that has the illustration of the lantern that was in the town square of the village that he was that was his village. And so he goes back there to find the helmet. And so, uh, bedecked in the, in the, with the sword, the armor and the helmet, he confronts the moon King, who is his grandfather, who's, uh, voiced by, uh, Ralph, Fiennes. Um, and they have this big battle and Kubo realizes that he's not going to be able to defeat, uh, the Moon King with the, wep- the the weapons and armor that he's been given, but he can defeat him with his Shimisen, and so he restrings it with a uh, lock of his mom's hair, which he pulled away from her before she died initially mm-hmm. and reincarnated into monkey. Uh, the string from his father's bow mm-hmm. and a lock of his own hair. Yeah, and um, he uses that to. Defeat the Moon King, and the result is the Moon King is quote unquote dead, but in his place is this old man who's Kubo's grandfather, who's no longer the Moon King. Um, there's also the thing of the actual like motivation behind his grandfather, because uh, you mentioned that. Did you mention that the that, it, that his grandfather? Well, I, was I, I didn't go into detail. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, I did mention that at the beginning. Okay. But I, yeah. I briefly went over um, it. So. But the, the the actual motivation behind uh, Kubo's grandfather um, plucking his eye, like taking Kubo's eye, was that the only is that for for whatever reason the only way that that Kubo could become like the like the moon people, like the the moon spirits that that his that his mother was and and there was that if his eyes were plucked out, so he couldn't see his own humanity. Um, which, from what I've actually, from 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 what I remember of what I read, because in in for a while in college I got way into Japanese mythology um, and some of their yeah. spirit stuff. That kind of like, though not like a direct take from from any Japanese story. It's absolutely the kind of the the kind of like theme, the sort of flavor that they put in with a lot of the a lot of those those old those old like Shinto. Shinto and Japanese Buddhist um, stories um, yeah. there with, the, with with those ideas. And so basically what he – like even though it would have made him sort of like cold and emotionless and, and unable to empathize with humanity, what his grandfather was trying to do was make him more like – like basically allow him to come and live forever um, on the moon um, yeah. with, be, with, with the rest of, of his family. Like make him acceptable to be part of the family, yeah. which – I know it's really fucked up, but uh, it also just well made, it it adds a certain 
level of uh, interest, like there's, there's an interestingness in the actual motivations there for me. There, yeah. Well, and it, and it adds a, a level of authenticity to the, to the story of the, of the film itself, yeah. even though it's not directly uh, out of Japanese mythology, it feels like it could be. Yeah. So, and if it's not um, directly, it's uh, uh, adjacent. Yeah. It's very, very, very much inspired from. Yeah. Um, I mean, even even certain, even like from a from a pure from like a, a, a from like the fantasy the from some of the fantasy stuff that like say I I work on, or or I do um, some of the stuff with like some of the magic and some of the world building is a tad is a hair sloppy like it's not really explained well, but most of that's because that doesn't actually matter, like no. like the the nitty gritties of how the magic works really does not matter because it the re, one of the things with the world building in in the in the magic in the magic system in the movie the reason reason it doesn't make a difference is because this is very much folklore yeah there, th- this it, 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 it comes directly out of folk folklore even though it's not necessarily it's, a f- store actual story necessarily well it, it, it's it's not it's, it's not a a telling of an existing story. It's a new yes. story. It's a new story. But this is this is fairy tale. This is a, this is a fairy tale logic, like yeah. an actual fairy tale logic. Not exactly. like you know some of those shows that say they're fairy t- like based on fairy tales and then apply you know ridiculous amounts of logic to their magic systems and sort of destroy them. So do you even know there's, what a fairy tale is, people? Come on. Once upon a time, I'm looking at you, asshole. There's, 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 and, and this is actually conversation for another day. There's, there's some yeah. great, there's some great stuff out there on, on magic systems and world building and stuff. And for those of you who are really, really interested in it, look up the stuff that Brandon Sanderson has written on the subject. Um, I think personally, I think he's probably yeah. uh, one of the most solid foundationally solid writers when it comes to creating stuff like that. Um, at least, at least from the magic system perspective. Um, that being all, that being said, there's some, some very heavy themes in this film. Um, but before we go into that, we did, I didn't, we mentioned that Matthew McConaughey plays Beetle, uh, and, and Ray Fiennes plays the Moon King. Um, Runa Mari, plays does the voice of the sisters um who are very unsettling they're very yeah they are wonderfully creepy that's actually one of the um, things that, that Leica does really really well is they like they get creepy yes and they, they do. do creepy so well they uh are masters of it um Charlize yeah. Theron is the voice of monkey yeah. and I really like her voice yeah. I really do um and she does good work here Art Parkinson uh, is the voice of Kubo. And for those of you who don't know what Art Parkinson is, he is the uh, – he plays um, Rick and Stark in Game of Thrones. Oh. So he uh, – I hadn't seen him in anything other than Game of Thrones. So I didn't really think much of him, to be honest. I haven't I haven't looked at any of his stuff. He's only – I think he's only like 14 or – yeah, so he's not even a person yet. Fifteen. Um, he is actually from Ireland. One, so I have to give him props because he has a he has an American accent, 
during Kubo, and I'm fairly sure he doesn't in real life. Nice. Um, I don't know. That's so, actually pretty impressive. So for a kid to to be able to do that is is pretty damned impressive. Yeah. Um, those are the main those are the main characters. Uh, there's nothing. There's no reason to talk about each one individually like we sometimes do. Yeah. Well, because this one like because it's, yeah, they're they're pretty pretty much you can't separate the themes from the characters. Yeah, I mean, well, they are they are they are all pieces on they are all pieces on the board that is uh, the um that is the, the 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 theme game. Like this is this is a it's a fairy tale, and fairy tales are always this is me uh, giving some sort of writerly advice here. Fairy tales are always about the themes. They are about the morals. Everything gears towards that. Like what the yeah. story is about is what and and fairy tale logic. I mean, it the reason why a lot of the characters in a fairy tale are interchangeable. I mean, like Jack. There's there's been so many versions of of you know like Jack in in our in you know in, in Western fairy tales where we just kind of there's a lot of uh, jokes about all of the Jacks being one like the same guy who just kind of keeps losing his memory or something like that. Um something along those lines and that's and that's fine because the characters aren't what's important it's what they uh about it's about what it's teaching you it's about what it's what the moral is what you're what you're getting out of it yeah this movie is pretty heavy with theme uh oh yeah oh yeah it's uh there's first off the idea of family um and well and 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 what family means in all of its in all of the good ways and all of the horrible ways yeah that's what family like what what family means in every possible iteration um cuz there's some really ugly parts of family that come up which yes. is one of the things that, that that I really like because a lot of a lot of uh uh storytellers these days um, either entirely focus on the negative aspects of family, or only fo- or like only focus on the warm and fuzzy. And in a and in a children's movie, someone who's willing to like say like the no, there there are times when you're gonna have shitty relationships with your family. Yeah, and they're still your family, but that doesn't make it any less shitty. Yeah, exactly. There's, you know, and commenting on this in the broad sense, I always hear people say, oh, my family is just the worst. My family is just the worst. And then I'll hear something. And occasionally someone will tell me something their family's done or tell me a little bit about their family. And, and I'll think to myself, holy shit, your family is fucking terrible. Yeah. You were right. <laughs> your family is the worst. But most often it's like, yeah, that that's pretty crappy. That's pretty petty. That's pretty lame. But that's not the worst. That's yeah. as bad as that is, and as unfortunate as that is, it's not the worst. That's really yeah. not the worst. Um, it, it, occasionally, there is that moment where I'm like, "Yep, you are absolutely right. You have the worst family ever." That they sound you win. Like horrible for you. But um, more often than not, uh, people have to contend with both good and bad with the family. And that's kind of the, one of the thing that sh- this shows movie shows, uh, Kubo's mom is fantastic. Mm-hmm. She's, she's still traumatized over everything, uh, over losing yeah. Han- Hanzo 
uh, over Kubo losing his eye. She's super overprotective, which is understandable. But she cares immensely about him. And it's funny to me, she's able to come out of her shell once she dies and is reincarnated as monkey. Um, she's, she sort of becomes more proactive in, in kind of there and present. <coughs> One, partly because, okay, she knows Kubo's in danger and he's got to act. He's got to, he's got to make, he, you can no, they can no longer hide from this problem. Um, they have to act on it. They have to be proactive and, and solve this issue. And the only way she can think to solve it is to gather up the, the pieces of the armor and for him to confront the moon king again. Um, then you have his father who they don't know. He's like, literally you're, he, Kubo's only given like a minute of realization that, Oh, this dude that we've been wandering around with for the this, last this dude that we've been, that I've befriended and is, and is uh, becoming a, a, a replacement father figure for me. Is actually it's my actually father. my father. <laughs> well, that well that would have been convenient to know. Ex- that yeah. would have been great to know twenty goddamn minutes ago when it was relevant. And so, uh, the uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. The the idea is is family. Like he has these solidly good people in his life, mm-hmm. and then he has his aunts who want to capture him and, and tear out his other eye. He has his grandfather who. Genuinely wants to be him to be part of his life, yeah. But 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 like exactly to... under his terms, and not just under, and not just under his terms, but the you need to be blinded so that you uh, so that half of your lineage, so that this half of your lineage, the the human half of your lineage, is burned away because being able to see is clog is is uh, sealing your ability to see. Yeah, which is some serious fairy tale logic that I like gives me tingles. Like I love it. That is just so so. It's that wonderful paradox that you run into in a really good fairy tale. Yeah, where it's trying to teach some kind of lesson. Oh, so good. But but at the same time, I think everyone can can relate to some aspect yeah. of this film. Well, you you can you can relate to either like either a parent or like a parent that you want to get away from or a a uh a command like or a demanding grandparent that um that that wants that wants you to be something that you don't want to be. Yeah. Um you know, like I, I this 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 time through uh reading through it like or, or watching through it um I had a whole bunch of really, really uh, weird and kind of nasty um, uh, uh, feelings revolve or, um, around my my grandfather. And, and at this yeah. point, uh, as of recording, both my uh, grandfathers have uh, have passed. They are uh, uh, as as some people say, corpses, um, and. Yeah. Yeah, but uh we ha- I mean like the one I never really knew and the the other one like uh, the amount that Kubo's emotional journey yeah and my emotional journey regarding my grandparent my grandfather when I was when I was younger mirrors each other 
is enough that I, I mean, I nearly had, I nearly had a breakdown once we hit the, once you hit towards the end of that, uh, end of that film this time. Like yeah. it's, it was, it was a powerful piece, but it just hit all of the, the right notes to, uh, seriously messed me up for a few minutes. Like I had to, I had to start watching, I just started to rewatch a gravity falls to kind of cleanse, to emotionally cleanse my palate, but not, but not too far into that one. <laughs> no, no. Um, the, there's a lot to this film, which is, it's amazing. Cause it's really, I mean, we kind of went over the plot in some, some detail there's a, but there's a lot to this movie. Uh, when you there's layers to it, I guess. Uh, on the surface, it's this this fantastic fairy tale about this boy who defeats his grandfather in an act of revenge. Um, mm-hmm. Putting it simply, I guess I could have just done that for the plot overview. A young boy has to defeat his grandfather in an act of revenge. Um, but mm. it's way more complicated than revenge, though. But this is true, and that's what I'm saying. On the surface, mm-hmm. yeah, you peel back a layer, and it's. It's a family drama. You peel back a layer and it's about the mm-hmm. duality of life and death and about the spirit world and the mm-hmm. real world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You peel back another layer and it's, and it's about sacrifice. And, and, uh, for me, yeah. I think that's probably the biggest theme of the movie is yeah. the idea of sacrifice because Kubo's mom, she sacrifices her immortality to be with Kubo's dad yeah. and half her, Kubo. Her, her immortality, her, like when her, her, her life, like her family, she sacrificed everything for him, and then she sacrifices her life uh, to protect Kubo, and she's reincarnated in, well, into the he, monkey. And he said, "Well, and then and then Beetle Beetle sacrifices his uh, when 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 he's Hanzo, he sacrifices himself to get the to try and get the magic armor to, to protect Kubo from 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 the Moon King." Yeah, um, I mean. Kubo unwillingly sacrifices his eye. Uh, I guess sacrifices the word. He has his eye stolen. Um, yeah, but he he sacrifices. Yeah, that's the, that's the one where yeah he he does make a lot of sacrifices. His eye is not one of the things he's one of the things he what that is just balls out taken from him. He does he does sacrifice the magic on his in his uh, Shimison twice in order to defeat and protect those he cares about. Um, yeah. And so, to me, the the big theme in this movie is it's a movie about sacrifice. Um, I just and it's sort of tangentially related, but the, I just finished listening to uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History episode on the Caesar's War in Gaul against the Celts, mm. and yeah. the name of the the uh, episode is called the Celtic Holocaust, and. He frames it right off the bat with the idea of what would you be willing to sacrifice? What what's something you would be willing to give your life for? What are you like we could we, we could make a list of of things and you know what would be at the top of the list? And this movie is I think kind of a microcosm of that. What is each person each of the main characters willing to to sacrifice themselves for? Um and and it's only really Kubo, Monkey, and Beetle that I think it really applies to. And the reason why is because 
the Moon King and the sisters, I don't think they honestly think they're going to be sacrificing their lives in these battles. I think they figure they, it's a foregone conclusion that they will win. Um, and they don't. They end up, they end up losing. But looking at it from Kubo's point of view, what is, what is he willing to sacrifice? So anyway, I, I digress. I don't know if you agree with that sentiment or not, but I will agree because I got distracted and didn't hear it. That's fair. So I completely agree, except for when I don't. <laughs> yes, 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 indeed. Powerful piece, a very powerful piece, very powerful. And and also and also, it's one where there's also a a kind of simplicity to it. Like it's 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 one of the it's one of those where like the you can look at it as a simple as something simple as like a simple story as a fairly simple story or you can look deeper and start to see all of the all of the other all of these complexities yeah and so it's 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 one where it's a it's a simple piece and a complex piece and both of those statements are and neither of those statements are canceling the other one yeah it's per, it's a perfectly uh it's a perfectly I don't know. It's it's a wonderful movie. What we're yeah. what we're saying is, if you didn't see this film, then you should go see it. <laughs> um, you should probably go see it right now. Stop listening to this episode of the podcast. Run out and watch it. Yeah, go watch it on Netflix. Has got it on there. You can watch it on Netflix. And it's not a Disney movie, so it may still be there in two years. Um, <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So, I don't know if there's anything else. Do you want to go? Well, we obviously love the movie. Is there anything we didn't like about it? Um. Uh, well, I think I've I've I've, me I've mentioned that there's there is some there's some sloppy like the, the magic system isn't really defined. Some of their mythology gets a little sloppy. Yeah. In cases, but. I still think that that just has to deal with the fact that this is that they're doing they're working under fairy tale rules where the cohesion of all that doesn't matter. Yeah, I think all of the things that all like all the things that matter in this film are very tight, are very tightly, very tightly done. Yeah, um, the th yeah if if they didn't put effort into into say how the magic works or what the you know like what the actual sort of like mythology of all of this goes together that's cuz it doesn't matter it doesn't matter to the story yeah and and, and ultimately um, i don't think a lot of people are actually going to be looking at that anyway um well i, I the, the only reason i bring it up is cuz that was one of the consistent points that i saw uh, some of my more cinematically minded friends um complain about yeah like they said, oh, it was great, it was wonderful, but here's the problems. And they, these are like the the root, like the there. And there's some people that's like the eh, well, you know, it was, it was all right, but yeah. And I would say to those people, you're looking too much into it. <laughs> Just enjoy. You it. have missed the Just, you have missed the point. Enjoy enjoy the movie for what it is. It's a fairy tale and it's a poignant. You have lo you have lost the trees for the forest. Just look at the fucking tree. It's a gorgeous ass tree. That's all that matters right now. The rest of the forest doesn't. Exactly. 
Uh, I have insane, insane fan theories here. I I don't even know if we need it for this one. There's not likely to be a no. sequel. No. Uh, uh, Leica yeah. has not indicated at all that they will will make a sequel. Well, I don't know how they how they would. Well, in a lot of the Leica, a lot of the Leica ones, except for, I mean, maybe like Paranorman, maybe. Yeah. Um, they're not designed for sequels. No, well, that's what I was just going to say. Mean, they're, like, they're they're very much standalone stories, which is which is refreshing in a way. Like as much, yeah. I would love I, to see yeah. another story in the same realm and the same mm. in the same world as both Box Trolls, Paranorman, and and Kubo. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing another story there, but um, you know. You know what I would like. Not, you know what I would like to see, but not a, necessarily a sequel. If that makes sense. You know. You know what. You know what I would. Uh, you know what I'd actually like to see. What I think would be great. Um, no. Is a a sequel where it's either middle aged or old Kubo, and but it's about either his daughter or granddaughter. What? That's what I'd like to see. I don't know what it would be, but like her. Sort of coming to like like her coming to terms with um, having this uh, magic of the moon and or and and, st- and stuff like that, yeah. and having to you know maybe even having to deal with being a witch and and people being scared of her because of you know Kubo's Here, when because she's of Kubo's lineage. Here's a beautiful thing about something like that. Uh, they could do a sequel like that in. in only give you hints that it's actually Kubo, yeah. Your grandfather. Yeah. I mean, they could, they could, like, they could just show the fact that you know, like, just have a one line about, yeah, about, uh, you know, like, so father, you've never told me how you lost your eye. Oh, that was a different story. Yeah, uh, or that was an older story. You know, so something along the, something yeah. along those lines. Like, yeah. But that's. Yeah, so we we always put insane fan theories when we do these. Uh, this is one that just doesn't really need it. Um, yeah. So there you go. Uh, do you have any last thoughts before we close up? Um, no, not really. Like I think I think I think I've said it all. The just the, I mean, there's it makes me want to rant and rave and write something about. Uh, um, uh, and write the the comparisons between my own uh, life or my own experience with my grandfather and Kubo's experience with his grandfather. Um, yeah. But this isn't the place to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, no, it's it's a very it's a very powerful, very moving piece of cinema. If you let it be, if you want it to be, it, it will be that. And if you don't, who gives a shit? That's fine. <laughs> Here, and yeah, and here's the deal. Even even if you even if you don't fully, if, even if it doesn't fully hit you in the feels, uh, mm. it's still a great film. It's still just a fun film. It's to a watch. solid. It's a great adventure. It is a film. solid movie. It's a great kids film. Like uh, you know, yeah. there's there's some scary stuff in it, but it's scary stuff that kids can handle. So yeah, uh, well, and it's scary stuff that's just like cool looking. Yeah. So cool. That dude. that the thing the granddad turns into. Yeah. Like the giant sort of like evil koi fish dragon thing. Like, damn. I think it was badass. Yeah. And so um so watch it. Get a chance, sit down, watch the movie. Watch it with your kids. 
watch it with your your friends. Uh, just just watch it. So, uh, all right, that's it yeah. for that. Does it for this episode. Relevant to Our Interests is hosted by John Pelliston and Frank Shaw. Produced and edited by Frank Shaw. The music arranged by Frank Shaw. Scripting by John Belliston and Frank Shaw. Graphic design by Frank Shaw and Nathan Newell. You can contact us at relevanttoourinterests at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and what used to be Twitter. John and Frank are on many other social media platforms. Hit us up. You can listen to us everywhere you listen to podcasts.